Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Okay, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. Um, as I mentioned last week, we are in a series on Advent, which Advent is just this period of time, this four-week period of time leading up to Christmas, where as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it's an opportunity for us to prepare our hearts to get ready for this reality of what God has done for the world on Christmas, On the first Christmas morning when God came to earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, we are celebrating the turning point of human history by celebrating Christmas. And Advent is a moment in time. It's a a moment in the midst of the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of the Christmas season. Just in your hearts to hit pause. Say, I know there's a lot going on. I know there's a lot of holiday parties. I know there's gifts that I'm thinking about. I know there's things that we want to do as a family, but can we just hit pause for a second? Remember the reason for the season and prepare our hearts for this life-changing, history-changing, world-changing reality of the coming of God to earth for the salvation of the world. That's what Advent is all about. And so my, my title for today, I'm going to get to that in a second, but I, I want to read Luke 2 for us so we can refamiliarize ourselves with a story that if you've been around church or you grew up in church, you've probably heard before. So this is God's word, Luke 2, starting in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Another word there is awe or wonder. And the angel said to them, fear not, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you, born unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So my title today, if you're taking notes or just trying to follow along, the the big idea that I want to land on for us today is this idea of searching for a sign. Searching for a sign. You know, maybe maybe you caught this in Luke chapter 2 when it was talking about the angels were talking, the angels were declaring the will of God, and in Luke 2, what it says is this, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. God said to the world in the birth of his son, hey, maybe you're searching for a sign. 
Maybe you're wondering if I exist or not. Maybe you're wondering if there really is a God. Well, I wanna give you a sign that was prophesied hundreds of years, if not thousands of years beforehand, to show to you, to prove to you, to reveal myself to the world that not only is God real, not only is God the, the creator and author of all life on earth, but he's also our savior. He's also the one who has come to earth for such a time as this to express God's love for the world and to begin the restoration of all things. You know, I, I've thought about this a lot over the years as I've tried to put together Christmas messages and recapture the, the story of Christmas. And I've thought a lot about why did God choose to show up in the way that he did? Why did God choose to reveal himself to the world in the way that he did? Maybe three or four years ago, I um, had the opportunity to go to the opening day of the San Francisco Giants uh, baseball team. And I'll never forget being in there on opening day. Anybody ever been to a, a Giants game on opening day? A few of you, yeah, pretty awesome experience, right? And I remember on this day, in the stadium, getting ready for the game to start. And um, I can't remember who was singing the national anthem. It was somebody famous, just think Carrie Underwood or somebody like that who has an insane voice. And she's up there singing and right as she kind of comes down the crescendo moment, um, you know, bringing it home, hitting that high note. And at that very moment, the blue angels come flying over the stadium. I have no idea where this guy dropped from, but there were apparently a helicopter or somebody that came through earlier. And uh, this guy in a parachute jumped out of the helicopter or a plane that flew over earlier. And he was landing in the stadium, in the stadium, right as... Carrie Underwood or whoever is singing, you know, hits the note, home of the brave. The blue angels do this flyover. This guy lands. Maybe he had an American flag parachute. Fireworks are going off. I mean, it's this huge moment. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, if I was Jesus, that's probably how I'd make my entrance <laughs> into the world. <laughs> I mean, come on, it doesn't get much like more impressive, insane, crazy than that, right? Opening day, giant stadium right down there on the water. I even think the San Francisco Fire Department was in the bay with the water cannons going. I mean, everything was going off. And I was like, man, if I, if I was God and I could choose to reveal myself any way possible to the world, how would I choose to do it? I'd probably do something like that. I'd probably make a statement. I'd probably want to make sure that everyone saw it, no one missed it. This is not something that could be missed or overlooked or denied. And yet, I'm reminded of a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Listen to this verse. It says, as the scriptures say, I will, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, 
the wisdom of this world looked foolish since God and his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. You can't just find God or figure this out based on your wisdom alone. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. They're preaching the cross of Christ, that this, this man who was accused of treason, of blasphemy, this man, Jesus Christ, who was raised in obscurity, a Jewish carpenter, was in fact God in the flesh and the savior of the world. The world looks at that and says, that's foolish. That's crazy that you all would believe something like that. In fact, if you think about it, right, there's three signs that God gave us in the birth of his son, Jesus. There's three things that he is declaring to us. And he says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You want to know the reality of my heart, what I'm like, why I came, what I'm about? I'm going to give you some signs that all point to the same thing. And the signs that Jesus gave us, the signs that God gave us in Christmas, if you're searching for a sign, the first thing was he gave us foolish signs, signs that in the wisdom of the world um, point to something that maybe the world wasn't looking for, maybe something that we would consider foolish. He gave us prophetic signs through prophets like Isaiah and Micah, hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus's arrival, God said, this is going to happen. And a sign to you will be when a virgin gives birth to a child in the town of Bethlehem. He gave prophetic, specific prophetic signs. And number three, he gave miraculous signs. Signs of his appearing, signs that, man, God is real, he's with us, and he doesn't want us to miss the message. He doesn't want us to miss the signs. But again, I go back to this, I think about it, I think, man, maybe you've been a part of this, a strategic planning meeting, maybe you've done this with your work, something that we do as a church team, as a staff every year as we get together and we, we take a few days away and we say, all right, Lord, what are gonna be the main things we focus on this year to help reach our community, to advance your kingdom in the community and in the world, to share with as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ? And we put together some strategic initiatives and I thought to myself, if, if you can just imagine you know, Jesus, as a 30-year-old man, or at some point in his life, you know, gathering his friends together and saying, okay, um, I want to come up with a strategic plan for how, for how I can have the most influence and the most impact on this world. Imagine God, I don't know, with the angels saying, okay, let's come up with a strategic plan of how we're gonna introduce my son Jesus to the world. And with any sort of strategic planning meeting, you always start with the end in mind. What's the goal? What are we going after? What, what's the main idea, right? And so let's just pretend that Jesus's strategic plan, God's strategic plan for his son Jesus involves this. Hey, I, 2,000 years after I die and rise again, I want everyone to know my name on the entire planet. I mean, today, if you went almost anywhere on the planet and said the name Jesus, people would have some idea of who you're talking about. 
Everyone knows my name on the planet. I want at least a third of the earth's population to center their entire lives around me. A third of the earth's population to center their entire lives around me. Again, this is from the perspective of Jesus, okay? Here's the strategic plan. And number three, I I want my teaching to be the most important body of thought in the history of the world. In fact, I want it to be the foundation of three major world civilizations, including the Roman Empire, the British Empire, and America, the Western civilization, the reality of it. So if this is the, the goal, the end game of the strategic plan of God that 2,000 years later, this would be true, and you can choose, okay, what era in history will I send my son? Would you do it before or after the printing press? Would you send Jesus before or after the internet age? <laughs> Right? If you're wanting 2,000 years later for his teaching and his influence to still be massively impactful for the people of earth, now, would you, if you were God, would you say, okay, my son can be chosen to be born in any generation in any location that you want, and I'm gonna make sure of this. He's gonna be born in a small backcountry, backwater town in the outskirts of Nazareth. Um, He's gonna live his entire life in obscurity before the internet, before the printing press, before Twitter, before iPhones, before any of that. He's never gonna live in a major metropolitan center. He's gonna be completely outside of any networks of economic, social, political, and educational influence and wealth He's not gonna be near any of that. And he's gonna make sure that he doesn't even associate with anybody in those networks of power. And really, just before he takes off in his career, his his life is gonna crescendo into this moment of an utterly disgraceful death. How's that for your strategic plan? To influence the world 2,000 years after your death. God's wisdom, the wisdom of God, may look like foolishness to the world, but friends, it, in, it wins in the end. The wisdom of God wins in the end. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Come on, somebody. You all with me this morning? <laughs> all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Think about the wisdom of the world. In every single generation, the smartest people, they make new discoveries. They, they find new things about how the universe works. But by the next generation, almost without fail, the discoveries of the current generation, the wisdom of the current generation is typically laughed at by the next generation. I mean, there was an entire generation that honestly believed the world was flat. They believed that the sun orbited around the earth. There's an entire generation of doctors, maybe not all of them, but many, who literally prescribed smoking cigarettes for anxiety. Remember? I mean, I remember when I was young getting on airplanes and airplanes still had ashtrays in them. 
The wisdom of one generation is often laughed at by the next generation. I remember as a kid, do y'all remember this? Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) The map of the tongue, the taste map, okay? I remember at some point in elementary school, somebody showing me this where it was like, okay, you know, the sides of the tongue, that's where uh, you, you taste sour things or sweet things. The middle of the tongue is where the, the savory flavors are experienced or whatever. Turns out none of that's true. Anybody else have like the flavor map? Okay, just me and four of you. <laughs> So apparently that wasn't the wisdom of the world at the time. That was just false information that I got. To base your truth, your worldview, your understanding of reality on what all the cultural elites are saying, on what all the smart people of our generation are saying, on what the culture is pushing right now, friends, that is foolish. It's foolish. Because there will be a day coming, maybe 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now, where a lot of the things that we bought into hook, line, and sinker are going to be seen for what they are, perhaps false or even worse, destructive. Christianity, the wisdom of God, has outlasted empires, civilizations, because it is not based on what is culturally happening or what the wisdom of the world would say. It's based on something eternal. Jesus Christ, the truth of who he was and why he came. Christianity is never out of date. So the first sign that we get from God is a sign that would be considered foolishness to the world. Why would God reveal himself in this way? Why would he come as a vulnerable child? Second thing is this, prophetic signs. One of the most amazing things to read in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, just consider this one as one of them, right? Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's amazing. 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah prophesies that. Micah, Micah 5.2 says this, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Jesus Christ. Now, friends, if I I told you today, uh, God's gonna speak to you. God's going to encounter you in some way today. Be looking for it. Be aware that this is going to happen. Be ready for it. God's going to speak to you. I promise you, if we just had a conversation and I shared that with you after church, you would be on high alert. You'd be looking for it. And and whether it was a sunset, whether it was a text from a friend, whether it was the line on a TV show that you watch, you would probably find something by the end of the day I don't know, maybe it's your football team winning today. You're like, yep, God's speaking to me today. Whatever it is, there would be a moment, I think, you would probably say, all right, I, 
I think that's what God was speaking to me today. That text from a friend of just encouragement, random encouragement, that the memory I had, the conversation I had with that person, maybe that was God speaking to me today, but it's a whole lot different if I say something really specific about the future. Not vague, not like, yeah, God's gonna speak to you today, be looking out for it, and then that's open to your interpretation of whatever you think God may be speaking to you today. It's a whole lot different when 700 years beforehand, you prophesy a miracle. The virgin shall conceive. That is humanly impossible. That is miraculous. And bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. God with us. So you say to me, well, how do we know that Mary and Joseph didn't just know about that prophecy and decide 700 years later, hey, let's just create a scandal here in Nazareth, in Bethlehem. You know, we're betrothed to be married, but let's just tell everyone, Mary, that you got pregnant when God appeared to you and said, Mary, one, one day soon, you're gonna be with child. And this child is gonna be the savior of the world and you're gonna call his name Emmanuel. Um, let's, Mary, how about you and I, imagine this conversation between Mary and Joseph. How about you and I um, come up with a story to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14? Maybe. But let's just play that out a little bit longer. Okay, today in a modern society, everyone knows that you don't become miraculously pregnant. That's impossible, right? Everyone knows that. Here's the crazy thing. Everyone also knew that 2,000 years ago. That's not new knowledge that's old knowledge. So when Mary and Joseph showed up on the scene and this was their story, how do you think that went for them? Not great. They were shamed. They were ridiculed. They had to bear the shame of pregnancy outside of wedlock. And furthermore, they had this crazy story of an angelic visitation and encounter with God. No one was buying it back then and in the same way, if someone showed up and said the same thing to us today, we wouldn't buy it. And yet, it happened. You see, here's what makes the story of Christmas credible, is the fact that for Mary and Joseph or anybody involved in the story, whether it's the shepherds or the wise men, this was not a personally advantageous lie. If you were gonna make up a lie, this is not the kind of lie you would make up because it would literally mean you are now an outcast for the rest of your life, especially for Mary and Joseph. You now bear the shame of the community because you've come up with this crazy lie. Friends, the prophetic words that begin all the way back in Genesis 3.15 are so specific and so numerous, and there's so many of them. And none of them make sense from a natural perspective. If you were gonna make up a religion or make up a lie, you would not wanna bring this upon yourself, the public reproach and the public shame. And yet Mary and Joseph shared their story. Jesus Christ was born. 
the prophetic words are true. They came true, not by chance, only because God orchestrated and ordained it. Third thing that we're gonna see, so the first is simply, if you're searching for a sign, the signs of God, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. If you're searching for a sign, God said, I gave you 300 from the Old Testament, prophetic signs pointing to the birth of Jesus. But number three, what you can't forget is that I have provided for you and for the world a miraculous sign. It almost goes without saying, and sometimes I, I get concerned that we're, we're losing the fact that, friends, Christmas is a miracle. It's a miracle, and I know that in a modern um, scientific culture, I mean, this has been an attack on the Bible for years. There's a ton of skeptics who are within the world today who would say, hey, this, this book contradicts itself. It can't be the inspired word of God because there's historical things that we believe are not accurate. People come against the Bible all the time. The funny thing to me is this, the number one argument against the word of God, in my opinion, in a modern culture that says everything must be scientifically proven and scientifically based, the number one argument against God's word would be the fact that, hey, it's chock full of miracles from beginning to end. Things that you cannot explain scientifically things that you cannot explain in any human terms from the very beginning to the very end, from the parting of the Red Sea and the plagues on Egypt all the way to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, uh, the miracles of Jesus' life, to him walking on water, raising the dead, to Jesus himself being crucified and then rising from the dead three days later. The foundation of the Christian faith is the supernatural. It's God breaking into our reality. It's God breaking into history and saying, you can't save yourself. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to bring salvation, to save you. Friends, Christmas is a miracle. If you remove the supernatural, then Christianity becomes a self-improvement gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Most people, if you read the teachings of Jesus, most people will look at the teachings of Jesus and say, yeah, I love the ethical teachings of Jesus. Love your enemy, love your neighbor. Love others as you love yourself. Make sure that you forgive quickly. Turn the other cheek if someone wrongs you. Over and over again, you look at the ethical teachings of Jesus and you say, yeah, I, I like that stuff. But what do we do with the miracles? What do we do with the supernatural stories around Jesus's life? Friends, you can't throw those out. Because if you remove the supernatural, if you remove the fact that Christmas is representative of God's gift of salvation to the world then you take the heart out from Christianity. You take the heart out from what we believe. Why did God choose to reveal himself in this way? To the world, why did he choose to come born of a virgin in Bethlehem, in obscurity? 
What was the heart behind it? I believe, among other things, it was this. Salvation was not, is not, and will never be achieved through human effort. Salvation is a gift, and only God could provide the necessary sacrifice. The reason God chose to reveal himself in the way that he did is because he wanted to prove once and for all that the salvation that humanity needed, the forgiveness of sins that humanity needed was not something that humanity could achieve for ourselves. There's two kind of religions I think the world understands, and I'm closing with this. Two types of religion that the world understands. The first is a religion of wrath, justice. The world loves to to call out bad people doing bad things, right? And the, the idea behind a religion of wrath or justice is this idea that God will bless good people and punish bad people. God will bless the good ones who deserve it, who live a good life, and the bad people, well, they're on God's bad side. It's nice and simple. It's a very clear-cut religious system. Hey, if you're good enough, God blesses you. That's the first type of religion that the world understands. The second one is this, a religion of love and acceptance. This idea that, hey, God is simply a spirit of love, an energy of love in the world. And look, you decide what's right or wrong for you. You can't decide for anyone else. You just decide what's true or right for you. You can't tell anyone else that their choices are wrong and everyone is included because we have a God of love. Everyone is accepted. Everyone's in. Friends, Christianity is neither of those. And it's both. You see, the thing that struck me as you think about the reality of the Christian message is simply this, right? Christianity is not just a religion of wrath or justice. It's not just a religion of love or acceptance. Friends, Christianity is a religion of grace. It's a religion of grace. Yes, we serve a just and holy God. We serve a God of justice who says, look, there is right and wrong. There is good and evil. And because I'm a God of justice, I will not allow those who have done evil or the evil within the world to go unpunished. And yet because I'm a God of love, I say, all come to me who are weary, all who are thirsty, all who are hungry, all who are weary, all who are downtrodden, come to me just as you are. So God says, all are welcome. And God also says, there is good and evil. I'm a God of justice. Therefore, I'm going to make decisions that are just and right and true. Friends, Christianity is a religion of grace. It says this, the love of God was so compelled to save the world that God became a child. In Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life and he became the sacrifice that paid for the sins of the world. The love of God satisfied the wrath of God so that we could receive grace. Are you with me? That's the beauty of Christmas. That's what Christmas teaches us. God's grace is the love of God taking on the full weight 
of God's justice so that the world can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, what are you basing your life on today? If you're basing your life on anything other than Jesus Christ, in the end, it will let you down. If you're basing your life on anything other than eternal truth that is anchored in God, if you're looking for a sign, God would say to you today, I gave you the greatest sign the world has ever seen. I came to earth in the form of my son, Jesus. Don't miss it. My prayer for you today, my prayer for all of us this Christmas season as we prepare for the arrival of Jesus Christ is that we would not miss the sign. All the prophetic signs that God gave, all the different ways that it may look foolish to the world, but is the wisdom of God and all the ways that God said, I'm going to save you because you cannot save yourselves. I'm gonna give you grace. I pray we wouldn't miss it. Amen. Let me pray for us. We're going to take communion together before we close our time. And communion is simply a representation of God's love for us. It's a representation that Jesus took what we deserved, that his blood was spilled for us, his body was broken for us, and through faith in him, we can have new life. So as I pray, I want you to prepare your hearts and then we will take communion together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth and the reality of Christmas. And right now, Father, I just pray, I ask that for anybody in the room that is searching, is looking for you, that they would find you, that they would know that you are near. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.